0: Father, we thank you for your uh, your very presence here today. Father, I'm thank you. I'm thankful, thankful, thankful that I have one more opportunity to stand before you and serve you. Father, I hope that this is my desire on the day that you take my breath. Mm-hmm. Father, I pray that I live I live with this desire as long as you give me life to breathe. Father, we're so thankful for your only begotten Son and all that He means. Father, I'm thankful for your prophecies, yes. your prophets that have come before us. Father, the apostles, the disciples, all that blazed the trail so that we might have what we hold today in our hands, the Bible. So thankful that you put me in place. Father, it's so amazing to watch your plan unfold and come to fruition over time. So, Father, we give you praise for that today. I pray that you'd help me through this message. Um, Father, I don't I don't care how I sound, but I do care that I don't mess up anything that you had for these people. And So, Father, I pray that you give me your blessing, that you give me your grace and let me let me do what you sent me here to do, Father. I love you. I'm thankful for your son, your only begotten son. We ask these things in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So, happy new moon to everybody. Isn't it good to gather here at Yahweh's church? Yeah. Yahweh's people. I'm so thankful. I know sometimes it gets busy and we think, man, I need to do something else. I need to be somewhere else. I need to be working on something. Now, there's so many things that I need to get done. I don't have time to come to church today, but Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what you need to be doing. You need to be right here. You need to be right here. In spite of all the worldly things that we could be tied up in and um, doing today, this is exactly what Yahweh would have us to be doing, to meet together, to assemble ourselves as a congregation and worship Him and learn about His Word. With all that being said, Yahweh's family is the only family that's going to stand throughout eternity they're the only one that's going to stand and Yahweh's will is the only standard that matters it doesn't matter about anything else all the other things in life are vanity they will perish your jobs will come to an end your hobbies will come to an end and even the people that you deal with on a daily basis they will eventually cease unless they're part of the family of Yahweh Mm. or part of Yahweh's household Mm. and so let's not forsake Yahweh to entertain the pleasures of the flesh but rather let's walk in Yahweh's counsel and follow His Son in everything we do Every, every day we get up, let's let's do that and make it a point to be part of Yahweh's plan. Yeah. Now, aren't you glad that you're here? Yes. Oh, Yahweh's yeah. children said, Amen. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and I open them up to the first gospel. That is Isaiah 53, not Matthew. And um, I told you last time I taught that I thought Isaiah 53 was the first gospel, not the, not the fifth gospel as some refer to it. But um, open up to Isaiah 53. We're going to read it all the way through. And then uh then we'll start to break it down in verses. Isaiah fifty three is starting let's start in Isaiah fifty two, verse thirteen. I think that's where this starts, so let's do that. It says see my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as he, as many were appalled at you. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations kings will shut their mouths because of him for they will see what they have not what had not been told them and they will understand what they had not heard who has believed what we have heard and who has the arm of Yahweh been revealed to he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or splendor that we should look at him no appearance that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by the Almighty and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep, We all have turned to our own way and Yahweh has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears, He did not open His mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered His fate? For He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made His grave with the wicked and with a rich man at His death. Although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully, yet Yahweh was pleased to crush him, and he made him sick. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the will of Yahweh will succeed by his hand. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. And he will receive the mightiest spoil because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Now we're just going to concentrate on the first three verses of chapter 53 today. But before I do, I want to refresh your memory about what's going on here. And um, the first sermon that I taught in Isaiah 53 was basically just an overview of the whole chapter. You can go back and look at that at your own time if you'd like to, but it's really just a summary or maybe a fast-track course through Isaiah 53 over the whole chapter. But in the second sermon that I taught on Isaiah 53, we covered the last three verses of Isaiah 52. We learned that the last part of Isaiah 52 was a preface of Isaiah 53 being the prophecy of the suffering servant that would startle many nations. We talked about how he would be the perfect slave of Yahweh the bed of Yahweh in Hebrew he would fulfill all that he was sent to do as Yahweh's servant we talked about how he would be exalted in doing so Mm -hmm. he would be raised from the grave he would be lifted up into the heavens and he would be greatly exalted as king over heavens and earth high, higher, and highest is what we talked about last time we discussed his appearance and his disfigurement because of the wrath that was poured out on him we talked about how he was so destroyed that he did not even resemble a man. His face was beaten. His head, his hands, his side, his feet were all pierced. He was spit on. He was mocked. He was stripped of his clothing. His clothes were removed from him, and the Romans cast lots for his clothes. clothes. Needless to say, this was the perfect example of the worst crucifixion and exhibition ever recorded in history and because of this we realize that nations would be startled on account of that all the nations that saw this would shut their mouths in amazement both present and time to come in the future and do you remember why they would be amazed it's not only because of the wicked act and the unjust punishment that took place but also because as verse 15 points out in chapter 52 It says that they will see what had not been told them and they will understand what they had not heard. Mm -hmm. We learned about who these people would be last time I talked, And we also decided who they could not be based on the context of the passage. Mm -hmm. In short, we discovered that the kings that would be amazed would be the kings of other nations outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judah, Mm -hmm. outside of Israel as a whole. They would be kings of other nations. The people who have not heard the message from the prophets about the coming Messiah. We also learned that it couldn't be the we well, couldn't be the Jews because we know that they did hear the message from all the prophets, from Samuel on, but they rejected. You can read that in Acts chapter three. It talks about them hearing hearing it about it from Samuel on. Yeah. Yahweh says in Isaiah chapter sixty five and verse two that he spreads out his hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the wrong path following their own thoughts the Jewish people in the nation of Israel in the sense of ethnicity are a rebellious people they are a rebellious people they killed the prince of peace mm-hmm. Yahweh sent them a healer and even though the, they knew that he was promised they still rejected him Now I'm not trying to be anti-Semitic or anti-Zionist by any means anybody that knows me knows that that's not me I'm not picking on a group of people or a race of people or however you see that but the nation of Israel is Yahweh's people. That's right. We can't deny that. That's, that's Yahweh's people. But I am just reading what Yahweh says about his people here. And so if he says that they're rebellious, then I must assume that they are rebellious people. I'm not saying I'm any better either because even though I've read the book, I know the end of it. I know what Yahweh expects of us, the laws that we should keep, the prophets we read, we should understand. I know all that. I still struggle with the act of unbelief from time to time. I think we all do. I think that's just something that we deal with. Yeah. However, my point is this. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 15, the people who shut their mouths in, uh, in disbelief and amazement, the people who see and understand what they have not heard cannot be the Jews or the nation of Israel because they had heard it. They had already heard it. They heard the message about the Messiah. So now for further proof, we're going to jump right on into verse... One in chapter 53. But keep in mind, chapter 53 as a whole is a future confession of the Judahites or Jews at some appointed time by Yahweh. There is a ton of eschatology tied up in this chapter. Because I'm not an eschatology guru, okay. I chose to leave that part out of the sermon. You can do your own studies on what time frame you think this takes place. I have some thoughts and ideas, but I'm not solid on it, and for that reason, I won't teach it. Okay? You can ask me. I'd be glad to give you my opinion. I just I'm just not super solid on it, so I won't I won't put a time frame on this, on the time that the appointed time that this will take place. So chapter 52 is dis, is uh, about disbelief and amazement of the nations. Chapter 53 is the future confession of the Judites. Just trying to make sure that I make sense here. So let's look at chapter 53 and verse 1. It says, Who has believed what we have heard? I want you to stop right there for a minute. This should be proof that these are not the same people who haven't heard in verse 15 of chapter 52. Notice the past tense verb in verse verbs in verse 1. Who has believed what we have heard. So this verse makes sense as part of the Jews' confession in the future. Who has believed what we have heard. We have heard this from old, in other words. We have read this over and over again. All the former prophets have spoken of His coming but we didn't believe it. What message should, should they have believed or what message should we have believed? The message, the message about Yahweh's servant, the coming servant of Yahweh, the suffering servant, precisely. This is a message that was given to the nation of Israel. Notice it's not in reference to a message that they gave, but a message that was given, okay? A message that they heard, that's very important. It's not one that they gave, but rather one that they heard. It was a message given by Jews to the Jews, but it was not given by the ones making the confession. It was given by believing Judahites or believing Israelites. All the prophets of the Bible were Israelites, all of them. All the prophets were Israelites, or at least for the most part. All the apostles were Jewish. All the writers of the Gospels were Jewish. The writers of the New Testament were Jewish. And our Lord and Savior... He was Jewish. They were all from the tribe of Judah. Okay, Judaites. When I say Jewish, I'm talking about p- participating in Judaism. Okay, part of the Jewish culture. All right? But still, it's not a confession given by general Jews in context, but rather it's a confession of the Jews that didn't believe the message that was given by the Israelite prophets. Okay, this is a statement of admission that they heard it, but they didn't listen. This is what they're doing. They're saying, "Who has believed it?" We know that we heard it, but who believed it? Mm. Okay? See, at least from the New Testament on, every Jewish man or every Jewish person has heard the message about Yeshua. If not, but for one reason. They've heard it that they may reject it. Mm. If you're participating Orthodox Jews today, you have heard the message about Christ so that you might reject it. You can't reject something you've not heard. Okay? I can think of... No other ethnic group that would know more about Jewish history, Jewish culture, the Old Testament, the books of the prophets or the Torah better than the Jewish people themselves. Mm. I can't think of any other ethnic group. And they also know the New Testament writings as well, but they have a very, very critical view of the New Testament. Let me give you a little insight on what they think about Yeshua, for starters. Mm. For starters, the Hebrew name for... Jesus as the common church wouldn't would would call him is Yeshua. We all know that, but that's for in case somebody that's listening to this sermon doesn't know that, okay? Well, the Hebrew Jewish rabbis hated Yeshua so much that they took the name Yeshua, they dropped the A at the end of his name and they changed it to the name Yeshu, which means let his name be blotted out. Mm. Okay? You can find this in contemporary writings of the rabbis. It's kind of like saying, let his name be blotted out. We won't have this man rule over us. Mm. He also is called by the rabbis the transgressor, the talui, the hanged one, cursed is any man who's hung on a tree. Mm. These are some of the titles given to him by the Jews, but also they have a sick assumption about his origin and his life. Yeah. This is recorded in the Talmud. It goes something like this. They believe that Yeshua's parents were Ben Pandera and Miriam Ben Stada. Miriam Ben Stada was a hairdresser who had an adulterous affair with Joseph Ben Pandera, Joseph Ben Pandera, who was a Roman mercenary. And the result was the bastardized child, Yeshua. Okay? And then they say that Yeshua went to Egypt to learn magical arts in order to lead ministry. So they say that the real origin of Yeshua of Nazareth is just the original story of the origin of Yeshua. The Talmud records all of that. You can read it for yourself. It's not hearsay. Blasphemy, of course, but it may help to explain why they rejected Yeshua as Messiah. They have for centuries rejected the prophecies and the stories about Yeshua from the prophets and the men of old. They have heard it and they have read it And yet they still reject it. The Jewish people have been busy for years trying to discredit the validity of our Lord. And like I said, I can think of no other ethnic group who has done more to destroy the character of Yeshua of Nazareth. So there's coming a day in the future when the remnant looks back. The remnant of Judahite people will look back and they will say, who has believed what we have heard? Now, the Apostle Paul understands the meaning. I want you to look at Romans chapter 10 with me real quick. The Apostle Paul understands exactly the meaning of Isaiah, here in Isaiah 53. Look, I marked my Bible and I'm still having trouble finding it. (laughs) He understands the confession the Jews will make on the day because... In Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, he says, Now the scripture says, no one who believes on him will be put to shame. In other words, they won't lose their life. They'll have eternal life. They won't be put to shame in front of the Father. When he reveals you to the Father, you won't be put to shame, but rather you'll be covered in his blood, okay, or uh, justified by him. Verse 12 says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. This is just a backup verse to verse 11. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Nobody will be put to shame. Following verse 11. Verse 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now verse 14, but how can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how welcome are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. Now look at verse 16. But all did not obey the gospel. Who is the all? These are the people that reject the Messiah, Right. right? Those are the people that did not obey the gospel. And listen to verse 16. It says, For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Sounds just like Isaiah one. Now, verse 17, it says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Yeshua. Verse 18 says, But I asked, did they not hear? And the answer is, yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the inhabited world. See, folks, the Jewish people did hear. They heard about the Messiah. That's, that's Paul's point. In Romans 10 right here. They did hear. The nation of Israel did know. Unfortunately, just like Isaiah says, and Paul reiterates, they would not listen. Drop down to verse 21 and read what it says. It says, but to Israel, not to the Gentiles, right? But to Israel, he he says, all day long I have spread out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. He spread out his hands to the nation of Israel all day long. Israel is a defiant people. They heard, but they defied it. They didn't believe. So they know it because they heard it, but they just didn't believe it. But one day, they will. And when that day comes, they will start their confession with these words. Who has believed what we have heard? Isaiah 53.1 The answer is this. Nobody. Because they refused to believe and defied the prophets. Right? nobody believed what they had heard and now the rest of the verse 1 Isaiah, in Isaiah 53 goes like this it says remember, they, rem, remember this that they're confessing they didn't believe but I think in some way they're trying to give, their, give it a defense for their but the second part of the question in verse 1 says and who has the arm of Yahweh been revealed to so what does that mean well the arm of Yahweh language here is just a symbolization of power it's symbolic of of Yahweh's power Yeshua is the right arm of Yahweh sometimes the gospel is called the power of Yahweh
1: Mm -hmm.
0: in the the scriptures but Yeshua is the right arm of Yahweh here and so they ask who has the power of Yahweh been revealed to who was it none other than the nation of Israel the question is rhetorical how was Yeshua revealed to the nation of Israel well to start with he is made known by all the prophets right all the prophets Abraham made mention of him even when Isaac was taken up to the mountain to be to be sacrificed and the lamb or the, the ram was provided in the thicket. That's a type of the Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. Moses makes mention of the prophet likened unto him in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Mm-hmm. We see the immediate fulfillment of that in Joshua, the son of Nun, and then we see a secondary fulfillment of it in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the prophet that's likened unto Moses in Deuteronomy 18. All of the major prophets mention him, and the minor prophets do as well. From his birth to his resurrection and his exaltation is covered throughout the prophets. We can see it all through there. Daniel talks about the one coming on the cloud. Mm -hmm. Uh, David talks about in Psalms chapter 110, he says, sit here at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool. The Lord saith unto my Lord, Yahweh saith unto my Adonai. So all the prophets of old mentioned him and declared Yahweh's son, but not only that, this is a confession that hasn't taken place yet. Okay, Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 12 has not taken place yet. It's still yet future. So since then, the New Testament has been lived out. It has been penned, and we have it in our hands today, right? It's all about Christ and His church. Mm. We know all about Yeshua. We know all about the church that He started. What did He tell Peter? He says, on this rock, Mm. I'll build my church. Later on, Paul goes around and starts all the churches. And from there, Peter, James up in Jerusalem, the churches start to build and here we are today. This is part of Yahweh's church. This is, this is Yeshua's church. Mm. Okay? So, so today, so much about Yeshua has been said all over the world, all over the place. Mm. How, do you, how do you get away from that? And if that, is it, if that isn't enough, what about all the unconverted Jews that will make this confession? The ones that walked hand in hand with the Messiah in the streets of Jerusalem. This takes place after a resurrection. I, I'm not sure, but if it does, what about the ones, what about the ones that walked hand in hand in the in the streets of Jerusalem with him? Mm. They saw his miracles. <clears throat> they watched his healings. They witnessed his wisdom in the synagogues. They saw and heard of his resurrection, yet they still did not believe that Yeshua was the suffering servant of Yahweh that was sent, according to Isaiah 52 and 53. Now that blows my mind that there's any way possible that you can read Isaiah chapter 53, parallel it with the Gospels, and not see that the suffering servant is obviously Yeshua of Nazareth. It blows my mind. This is incredible to me. It seems so <laughs> obvious. But they asked this question in their confession, who has the arm of Yahweh been revealed to? Who knows about him the most? Who would have known about him the most? It is no doubt that that's the nation is the of Israel. For crying out loud, he is their Lord. But you know what? Scripture tells us that he says, I came into my own, and they received me not. Mm. I come into my own, and they received me not. Mm. Yahweh opened up his arm all day long to who? A rebellious people. Mm. They saw him. They witnessed his miracles. Yahweh revealed his power through him, but they still rejected him. One day, they'll have to make the confession because of their hatred and the rejection of him. Let's look more about why they rejected him. Look at verse 2. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says that he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. What does that mean? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Israel was an agrarian society, right? And they understood agriculture better than probably anybody. This is what they did for a living. There are so many parables and life lessons throughout the Bible using agriculture. Yeah. Okay? The Messiah talks about the wheat and the tares, the good and the bad soil. Throughout the Torah, we see so many uses of our produce and how it is equated with the service to Yahweh. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, we read it yesterday. Yeah. Raymond read it yesterday. It says, honor Yahweh with your possessions and with the first produce of, produce of your entire harvest. The Messiah tells his disciples that the harvest is full, but the workers are few. Right? Mm -hmm. So all throughout the Bible, we see the word pictures of agriculture as it pertains to everyday life of the people of Israel. And so I think that that is exactly what this is. It's a word picture describing the insignificance of Yeshua, or at least the insignificance in their eyes. He grew up before him. In other words, Yeshua grew up before Yahweh like a young plant. Luke 2.52 talks about how he grew up before him in stature and in wisdom, not just Before Yahweh, but also before the people, okay? Yahweh calls him his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. Yahweh watches him grow. He watches him grow from a baby all the way up, okay? So that's the first part of the statement. But then they say he was like a root out of dry ground. And I think there's some significance to that statement. A root out of dry ground portrays something of insignificance. Insignificance. He was what we would call, maybe here in the south, a sucker branch. All right. He wasn't really part of the good plant. He just kind of sprang up over here unattended, not watered. The dirt wasn't cultivated where he was from. He was from Nazareth. Mm. Wasn't great ground. Wasn't a good farm. In their eyes, he was like a small, insignificant branch that, bro- that grows off the bottom of a tomato stalk. You cut that off, it needs to be removed because it draws nutrients away from the real plant, the plant that's going to produce fruit. You cut that off. You get rid of it. He was considered small unnecessary irrelevant and not needed. Mm-hmm. He was born to a carpenter mm-hmm. and an insignificant mother. Born to a no good born in a no good town called Nazareth. He wasn't born in a palace or even a house but in a stable. Mm-hmm. His birth was attended by shepherds mm-hmm. who were the lowest people on the social ladder. Mm-hmm. He had no royal descent at least not like the one the king that are not like the king they would be expecting would have he was just something that nobody considered to be of any value to say the least they were explaining why they rejected him and so moving on look at the second part of verse 2 he had no form or splendor that we should look at him no appearance that we should desire him okay again he has no royal birth no family nobility Mm -hmm. no education just 30 years of carpenter in Nazareth Mm -hmm. he has no connections to the elite of the social gurus In Jerusalem, how could he have been the soon and coming king? How could he have been that? They even said things like, can anything good come from Nazareth? He hung around with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. He gained nothing from the crowd that followed him. Not one of his disciples was a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a priest, a scribe. Not one of them. For crying out loud, his own town rejected him. Mark 6 gives us that account of him teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And what did his hometown hero say about him? Where did this man get these things? How are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? They were offended by him. Yeah. They were offended by him. Yeah. See, folks, he it would be like me running for president. <laughs> All of the people of the United States would say, Whoa, where did this redneck come from? This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Who is his parents? Who is this man? He, where did he get his background in politics from? He doesn't, he doesn't have any background in politics. What elite university or Ivy League college did he go to? Same concept. No prophet has honor in his own home. No prophet has honor in his own home. They were looking for what their leaders had imagined would come instead of what the real leader told them would come. They couldn't see through the smoke. They couldn't see through the smoke. See, appearances were everything then, just like they are now. When the Israelites picked the king, wasn't he tall and beautiful? Anybody remember Saul? most prestigious man of all. Said he stood a head taller than everybody else in the crowd, right? Saul was picked because of his stature. But when Yahweh picks a king, they're small, and they seem insignificant. Think about the shepherd boy, David. As a matter of fact, even the thought of Yeshua being the king was so distasteful that they couldn't even imagine hearing that. You remember his death. They hated that part. How could somebody that wasn't a leader in their system possibly lead or rule the nation as a king? How in the world could that happen? They hated even the idea of it. And it was for this reason that Pilate nailed an inscription over his head when he was crucified that said, This is Yeshua of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Mm -hmm. Pilate didn't think he was a king. Pilate knew he wasn't a king, right? Mm -hmm. But when the Jews blackmailed him him about handing over Yeshua to them instead of Barabbas, Mm -hmm. this was his last slap at the Jewish people for retaliation. You can read about that in Mark 15 and John 19. Mm-hmm. You can read all about that. He knew that if the Jews were made one more complaint about him to Caesar, that he'd lose his status. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so he'd give them to him, even though he'd washed his hands of the blood, and he says, this man's not guilty. I can't find anything wrong with him. He dresses him up in a robe, puts a crown on his, face, on his head, brings him outside, and he says, here's your king. Mm-hmm. Here's your king. They hated that. They were appalled at that. So he goes as far as having a sign made, puts it over his head, and he says, Yeshua of Nazareth, king of the Jews. It was a slap in the Jews' face. So in an effort to get back at him, that's what he did on a board that hung over the torture stake. It was appalling to all the Jews. There was nothing over the top about him in their eyes, certainly not kingly, not kingly. There was plenty to be impressed by for the ones who believed in Yeshua. There was plenty to be impressed by, but not for the leaders of Jerusalem. So they didn't believe in the message sent to them. They didn't recognize the power of Yahweh through him. They didn't agree with his origin or his social status or the fact that he had no royal birth. They hated him. They couldn't possibly believe that this was their king. But then also, he had a terrible ending. He had a terrible ending. What kind of king dies a death and has an ending like his? Kings would have stately burials. Okay, A big parade, not a lowly death on a torture stake as a criminal. These are the reasons that they didn't believe. Let's look at verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering, who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. What does it mean that he was despised and rejected by men? Well, I think it's explained in the following verse because he was a man who knew what suffering was. Mm -hmm. To start with, I think he was a lowly man. I think he was one of sorrows and grief for his people. I believe when his people hurt, he hurt. When he saw his fellow Israelite and Jewish brothers suffering under bondage and torment, I believe that he shared in their pain. I also believe it crushed him to see a nation of people who Yahweh had delivered time and time again so off track from where they should have been. So because of the softness, for them and their sins and their troubles I think people viewed him as weak keep in mind of all the people who he could have ministered to he always visited he could have ministered to anybody okay but who did he visit the poor the sick the lame the lepers the prostitutes the tax collectors the wretched of the wretched is who he hung around with that's why his social status remained down here folks if you want to make money in your life, all you gotta do is hang around people that's got money. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. You hang around people that's got money, and you'll have it. If that's what you want out of life, that's not what he chose to do. Mm. Wow. That's not what he chose to do. Wow. He didn't hang around with people of royalty, and for that reason, he was rejected by royalty. When it says he was rejected by men, right here, the Hebrew word is not the general word that is used for men. Okay, the general word that's used for men is the word adon. But that's not the word that is used right here. It's the Hebrew word ish. Okay? And it signifies prominent men, rulers, or leaders, something like that. Mm -hmm. He was rejected by the leaders of the time. Not every man in general. Not just men in general, but the leaders. Okay? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that held clout. That's who he was rejected by. Because he wasn't starstruck by them. He didn't want to be like them. He didn't act like the leaders, okay? He wasn't starstruck by them. He didn't act like them. Instead, he was a man of sorrow and suffering for his people. And not only that, if we keep reading in verse 3, it says that he was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Now, I think this is talking about his crucifixion at this point, Mm -hmm. okay? I believe that this is part of their confession. It's speaking about the torment and the brutal destruction of his appearance at his death. He was like something that you see and you would turn. it would turn your stomach. Maybe today we might say what, what he looked like at his crucifixion would give you the heebie-jeebies, so to speak. Mm. He was so disfigured that Isaiah says in chapter 52 that he didn't even resemble a human being. That those who looked upon him were startled. I can't imagine what he must have looked like. So disfigured that people couldn't even stand to watch him. Couldn't stand to look at him. Then the last part of verse 3 says he was despised and we didn't value him. What that means is we didn't value him at all. He meant nothing to us. His life meant nothing to us. His birth meant nothing to us. His ministry meant nothing to us. And his death meant nothing to us. We watched him die and we could care less. We could care less if he was thrown in the dump or if you took his body down or left it up there and let the birds eat it. This is the son of Yahweh and they didn't care. Yahweh's son hanging on a tree and they didn't care Mm -hmm. nothing it didn't mean anything to them he revealed his son to them by showing them his power showing them his power Yahweh did that through his son he revealed him that way he even said this is my son in whom I'm well pleased Mm -hmm. he fulfilled these prophecies that we're reading here today Yahweh did through his son Mm -hmm. it meant nothing to the people that will make this confession folks what a sad day what a sad day for the people that make this confession. What a sad day it will be. Yeshua knew they didn't know that they were killing the son of Yahweh. And what did he tell them? He says, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. What a king. What a king. Hang on a tree. Nails drove through your hands. Your feet. A crown of thorns pierced through your skull. Spears in your side. Clothes laid on the ground naked. Thirst in the water. And he says, forgive them. They know not what they do. The people that killed him. What a king. What a king. I wish I had that kind of compassion for somebody who did me wrong. Somebody flicks me off going down the road and I want to put them in a ditch. He says, forgive them. They know not what they do. In closing, I want to leave you with this. Turn to Acts chapter 3 with me real quick. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple complex one afternoon. And they healed a man at the gate who was lame. Right. After doing this, a crowd comes running up to him in, in, amazement, and uh, I want you to listen to what Peter tells them. We're going to start in verse eleven. I'm going to read it. This is what Peter says to the crowd that comes running up to him. He says, while while he was holding on to Peter talking about the lame man who has just been healed, while he was holding on to Peter and John. I said Peter and James a second ago. My bad. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people greatly amazed ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of godliness we have made him walk? The mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the mighty one of our fathers, has glorified his servant Yeshua, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate Mm. when he had decided to release him but you denied the Holy One and the Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you he's speaking of Barabbas and you killed the source of life whom the Almighty raised from the dead Mm. and we are witnesses of this by faith in his name his name has made this man strong talking about the paralytic there or the lame man whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Yes. And now, brothers, I know you that you did it in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. But what the Almighty predicted through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. All the prophets, Isaiah 53 being one of them. Therefore repent and turn back that your sins may be wiped out so that the seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And he may send Yeshua, who has been appointed Messiah for you. Heaven must welcome him until the times times of the restoration of all things which the Almighty spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, Yahweh your Almighty will raise for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. You must listen to him and everything he will say to you and it will be that everyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also announced these days you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant and the covenant that Yahweh made with your forefathers saying to Abraham and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed Mm. Yahweh raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your own evil ways Mm. folks you tell me who Peter is talking to the men of Israel that's who he's talking to well the men of Israel are who had Yeshua killed and are they're the ones that are going to make this confession in Isaiah chapter 53. Mm-hmm. It's the same people. This confession in Isaiah 53 is not that of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's only that of the remnant of Israel that will be saved on that great day when they look back and realize what they have done. Mm-hmm. This is repentance is what it is. Mm-hmm. This is a broken-hearted confession of Israel for what they, what they missed in the person of Yeshua of Nazareth. Next time I teach, I'm going to try to go through three more verses. And we'll just continue on as they continue their confession. And we'll see the details of the ultimate sacrifice that was made by Yeshua and by Yahweh. Yes. And by Yahweh. Until then, continue to read uh, this chapter and meditate on it, Isaiah 53. And uh, may Yahweh bless you.